0: Tuning into this very last episode of Steddle on the Shortwave ever. It's December 21st, and we're talking Mayan prophecies. Moshiach, and Christmas for Jews with End of Times expert Dr. Lorenzo Di Tommaso, ex-Hasidic comedian Robbie Hoffman, and Matt Goldberg of Confabulation. Suffice it to say, Shtetl wants Moshiach now! Uh, even though this is the last day on Earth, you can download this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave from iTunes or at ShtetlMontreal.com <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave ever. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and in the studio today we have Shtetl producer Marley Wasser and confabulation creator Matt Goldberg, and we're going to be hearing from Robbie Hoffman later and also from Professor Lorenzo Di Tommaso. And after five years of being on the air, Shtetl has had a great run, uh, but when it's over, it's over. And it is December 21st, so who knows? But just because it's over, that doesn't mean as one last futile Act of hope that you, the listener, can't subscribe to shtetlmontreal.com or like Shtetl on Facebook in recognition of all the fantastic alternative Jewish radio we've produced. Follow us on Twitter at shtetlmontreal as we live tweet the apocalypse tonight so uh we have a really great show lined up for you today and uh what we were asking all week we've been asking listeners if they have requests if the world were going to end today what song would you want to listen to and we got a whole bunch of of different requests including the one you just heard that was Florence and the Machine Dog Days Are Over and that was a request by Julia Johnson in Ottawa and this next one a request from Fiona Keats in NDG. it's called Hey World and it's by Michael Franti
1: Uh uh Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh One, two, rock ahead, world
0: back on shtetl on the shortwave on ckut and that was hey world by michael franti a special request by fiona keats and this is the last show of 2012 i don't know if it's going to be the last show ever but i have to say i just love a doomsday prophecy so we're going on faith that this is the end of the world and some people find that really sad and i think hey you know the end of times could be a really awesome thing and we've got uh in the studio with us Marley Wasser, who's been working on Shtetl really hard all year and doing an amazing job. And Marley had a great conversation with Lorenzo Di Tommaso this week. Marley, what do you have for us today?
2: Yeah, so I went to see world-renowned apocalyptic expert Dr. Lorenzo Di Tommaso at Concordia's Department of Religion yesterday. He just got back from Japan. He was recuperating from jet lag, had a whole day set up of media interviews about the end of times, but he was really gracious and excited to talk to Shtetl about the end of the world. So let's take a listen. What were you looking into in Japan?
3: Apocalypticism and contemporary Japanese culture.
2: Okay, so what did you find out there?
3: Well, I'm looking at two things, uh, most importantly. The first thing is there's a whole bunch of Japanese um, apocalyptic new religions, the most famous of which, or infamous of which, is Aum Shinri-kyo. It's the group that let off the nerve gas in the Tokyo subway about 20 years ago. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. These new religious movements are syncretistic, and they blend a lot of ideas together, and often are oriented along nationalistic lines. So that's one, that's one facet of, of my interest in contemporary Japan. The other is, of course, popular culture. Um, apocalypticism um, is uh, prevalent throughout um, Japanese popular culture in anime, manga, role-playing games. In fact, one might argue that with, I'm sure some of your listeners will recognize these titles, with anime and manga like Acura, Nausicaa, Neon Genesis Evangelion, that um, they set the, the vanguard of um, apocalyptic popular culture.
2: Interesting. And now I guess shifting gears a little bit to Jewish apocalyptic theory. Okay, so in Christian religion, they've got the rapture. But I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention in Hebrew school. I don't remember learning there'd be an end of the world for Jews.
3: Well, I mean, um, for Jews, yeah. Actually, the apocalyptic worldview originated in Judaism about 22 centuries ago. Um, Perhaps the most famous apocalyptic book outside of the revelation of John, which is in the Christian New Testament, is the book of Daniel which is in the Hebrew Scriptures, of course. But above and beyond that, there's a lot of books that were written in Second Temple Judaism, especially from the um, Hellenistic period, late 3rd, 2nd, and 1st centuries, into the early Roman period, in the 1st centuries, so that that age, right, just before the rabbis. A lot of po- apocalyptic books that were written, including 1st Enoch, 4th Ezra, 2nd Baruch, these are unfamiliar titles perhaps to some of your listeners, but they form very much um, part of the background by which we understand uh, early Judaism. So it's It's quite right to say that apocalypticism came out of early Judaism. It was appropriated by the early Christians, who, after all, were Jews to begin with. Um, But from its early Christian um, appropriation, that's where it really took off, and... um, in some ways are are heirs to the way that early Christians and Christian theologians from that point on understand the apocalyptic worldview. Let me add a bit of coda there that apocalypticism didn't disappear in Judaism and of course um, seven centuries later it appeared in early Islam and still forms a very uh, potent part of the understanding of Islam even today.
2: You're saying Jews invented the apocalypse?
3: No, Jews invented the apocalyptic worldview which um, because of its functions anticipates an imminent end of the world. So I suppose in one way you could say Jews invented the apocalypse. I suppose that's true, yes.
2: Okay, so what was the story exactly about Daniel? I mean, he was the one who was locked up with lions, right?
3: Right, that's true. Daniel's an interesting book, because half of it are tales, or court tales, which talks about Daniel's life as an exile in Babylon. Some of the most beautiful tales in the Hebrew Bible are in the book of Daniel. But the second half of the book, from chapter 7 to the end, which is 12, are a collection of four revelatory visions, which, in which Daniel has a vision, and an angel explains to Daniel what's what the vision's all about. Um, in the seventh chapter, for instance, which is the first of these visions, Daniel has a vision of, of, of four animals crawling out of the sea, and uh, a vision of the Ancient of Days, and one like the Son of Man. He doesn't understand it. And an angel has to come and explain to Daniel that those four animals represent four kingdoms of the world, each of which will rule in sequence until the very end, which will end with the, with the, the establishment of the kingdom of God. God.
2: Okay, so you're saying that that's different than the end of the world.
3: Oh, that, uh, that is where the end of the world started, do you see? And because these visions weren't written at the same time, but they complemented each other, by the time you got to the fourth vision, which is the last vision, which extends from chapters 10 to 12 in the book of Daniel, you have at the very end of, uh, of, of the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, an understanding of the resurrection of the dead, which arguably is the only instance, the only the only place where the resurrection of the dead um, occurs in the entire Hebrew Bible, and with that, it all comes together. This notion of the end of time, the last kingdom of the world, and then beyond that—not just not just world events, but superworldly, transworldly—because you can't have a resurrection of the dead within within the bounds of our own reality. So something else has got to happen. And by the time you get to the resurrection of the, of the dead, which is personal eschatology, you have this notion of something ending for all time. I mean, after all, if there is a final resurrection and the book of Daniel is right, you don't go back to normal. You don't, you don't wake up after the, the last judgment and go to work. I mean, that's, that's the end of everything. There's a new age that's dawned.
2: So it's the end of one world and the birth of another?
3: In some ways, yes. It's the end It's the end of the present world and, and, and the birth of another. But it's, it's not exactly right to think of these as consecutive. That is to say, there's one world which is followed by another. It's not a cyclical thing. Rather, and I'm, I'm backtracking a bit. Rather, it's the imposition of the real world, which is, according to Jews and Christians and, and Muslims, of heaven onto earth. That is to say, our world, the world we live in right now, the world we're talking, we're looking at each other over a microphone right now, the world that we inhabit right now is, according to the apocalyptic world view, only transitory. It's not the real world. It's a, it's not the veritable world. It's a shadow world. And one day soon, according to the apocalypticists, including the book of Daniel, it will end. And during that ending, will come a different bunch of things. It depends on which apocalyptic text you look at. Sometimes it's the last battle. Often it's the final judgment. Sometimes it's the coming of, of the Messiah. Christians believe the Messiah has already come, of course. Um, but it's, it's the notion of the replacement of this transitory world by the eternal world.
2: So there's different versions within Jewish uh, theology about when the Messiah comes, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the world, and other versions saying that we can start this new world without the Messiah. Uh,
3: that's a good question. Not, not all Jewish apocalyptic writings contain um, an expectation for the Messiah. And some contain an expectation for two. For instance, um, among the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the community that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, they anticipated the coming of two messiahs, a, a Davidic or, or royal messiah, messianic figure, and a priestly messianic figure. So, I mean, what, what's happened, and this, is, this harkens back to where, where I started, um, is that the Christian understanding of the apocalypse has um, been so influential that it's more or less overwritten all apocalyptic uh, messianic expectations. That is to say, we can't understand a Messiah anymore outside of Jesus because Jesus has been so important in world history. You see what I'm saying? So, So we think that Every Messiah has to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, do what Jesus does that sort of thing this is inevitable. This is the way history works it 's the same way if we understand um, a religious figure. we sort of think of a good religious figure. I could ask you right now, I think think of a good religious figure. I think perhaps maybe for a lot of your listeners, someone who looks like Gandhi would come to mind. you know you see that that 's what i 'm talking about. But if you go back to the the original texts uh, two thousand years ago, you find there was a wide variety of um, apocalyptic speculation and also a wide variety of whether a messiah would be involved and in what way. So,
2: a messiah isn't central to Judaism?
3: Oh, I think a messiah became central to Judaism. A messianic figure uh, became central to Judaism, and certainly to uh, eschatological or end-time expectations in Judaism. But still, by and large, it it would be a mistake to think that um, Let me compare it to Christianity. Christians you you can't be a Christian and not believe in Jesus that Jesus was the Messiah proclaimed by Hebrew scriptures and so on and so forth you you just can't it doesn't work you know there's something missing it's it's like taking up the heart of Christianity but you can be a Jew and and not subscribe to a messianic belief i mean that being said it's quite common to find jewish eschatological expectations expectations of what's to happen at the end of time to include a messiah but it's important to realize that that's a history that, that that's the end result here we are in 2012 that's the end result of a history of 22 centuries of thinking about this and developing it along different lines it's not certainly a unified outlook There's, that's that's to be sure
2: Okay. Have you ever heard about uh, religious people having a bag packed and ready for when the Messiah comes?
3: Yeah, I know that. Sure. I know someone who had his bag packed and ready um, before Y2K and after 9-11. you? No. Not really. <laughs> but yeah, there's some people who, who do this, um, I suppose. Um, so you've heard of the preppers, right? Yeah. More often not, they're Christian, or Christian and or um, survivalists. Sometimes they go hand in hand, especially in the United States of America. Um... But it's not not surprising. Yeah, waiting for the Messiah to come. I I guess, and I don't mean this in anything but uh, a literal sense. I'm not being facetious. The problem is, for a lot of people, looking back on it, we've been waiting for a long time. So, I, um, you can do one of two things, you can think that, well one of three things I suppose. You can think that the Messiah is is coming right now and join the bandwagon. You can think that um, you'll never know when the Messiah is coming, and it's probably not a good idea to try and speculate about God's motives. Or you can say, well, that none of it's going to happen at all, and it's our life to live right now.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> and you're, you're working on a book about all of this, right, right now?
3: That's right. Um, I'm working on a trilogy. The first book is going to be called The Architecture of Apocalypticism. Um, and in that, I'm trying, to ask the, I'm trying to answer the question, the basic question. Why has the apocalyptic worldview been so important for so many people over so many different centuries for such a long time. And all these different life settings, too, whether it be early Judaism, medieval Judaism, modern Judaism, early medieval modern Christianity, so on and so forth. And it's many secular variants. And what I'm trying to do, what I'm actually trying to do in in, in its most basic form, is trying to come up with a vocabulary to to understand apocalypticism. How do we actually understand it? How can we talk about it in in a meaningful way that I can say... That's apocalypticism in the book of Daniel, and that's also apocalypticism in the Mayan apocalypse in 2012, and do so that you can understand that they're both the products of the same worldview, because hitherto that's been impossible.
2: Okay, so for the record, it originated
3: with Jews? Yes, here for the record. Professor DiTomaso says that apocalypticism originated in early Judaism somewhere around the 3rd or 2nd centuries BCE.
2: Wow, you've blown my mind.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you.
2: Do you have a favorite apocalyptic theory?
3: Every apocalyptic prophecy to this point has been wrong. The failure rate is 100%. The great irony of this world is that we spend so much time looking through ancient books or deciphering archaic calendars in order to find out a vision of what is to come and all we have to do is pick our heads up and look outside our kitchen windows and look at the one apocalypse that's absolutely guaranteed to happen and that's the degradation of the planet in the planet's biosphere. So I would say at that point, um, if I, I wouldn't call it my favorite apocalypse, but the one I'm most concerned about because that's the one that's happening for sure right now and that's the one I think we need to do something about.
2: Okay, well, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing your expertise with our listeners.
3: Great talking with you. Hi, I'm David Suzuki, and you're listening to CKUT
0: 90.3 FM in Montreal. Information to grow the brain. All right, we're back on Shtetl and the shortwave on CKUT. And that was a veritable doomsday prophecy from end of times expert, Dr. Lorenzo Di Tommaso. Thank you so much to him for uh, talking to us at Shtetl. He's at the religion department at Concordia University. And um, yeah, you know. There is a true apocalypse happening and it's, it's a bit of a downer, but you know what, I think, I think this is the right time actually right now to play Jonathan Goldstein's song that he wants to hear at the end of the world. It's peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter
1: jelly time, peanut butter jelly time.
0: Thank you so much, Jonathan Goldstein, and uh, I think his request will—we'll we'll be playing it throughout the show because who would not want to hear that as the end of times approaches? Peanut butter and jelly time. Peanut
1: butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. <laughs> okay. okay.
0: All right. So uh, we're going to be talking with Matt Goldberg later on in the show, and uh, and. Um, uh, but before we, we get to that, I just wanted to introduce you to him because he's here in the studio and uh, <laughs>
4: Matt. Hi Tamara, so good <laughs> to see you again.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Shtetl again.
4: I'm so happy to be here. and so happy to hear the best song in the world before the world ends. Jonathan Goldstein, you're awesome.
0: Yeah, peanut butter jelly time. There's nothing like it. Um, do you have a song that, did you think of something that you I thought? Did. What, I did. What song Should would I save you...
4: it though, like in case in case we can play it? My okay. whole justification.
0: Okay, save it. Save it yeah, in case yeah, yeah. we can play it later. I'm okay, sure we'll so have we, time. We'll have if time. you have time. Yeah, for sure. So um, before before we get to the, the next request uh, mm. uh, from one of our listeners, I just wanted to ask you, what is Confabulation? Oh,
4: uh, well, Confabulation is Montreal's premier all-true storytelling event. Uh, it's a curated event, hosted and produced and generally put on by me, um, in which uh, we do this once a month. We have a, a general theme for the month, and I curate six six, seven, or eight true stories. Uh, I get the storytellers, the people who actually experience these stories to come up and tell their stories uh, honestly, without props, notes, or gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Uh it's not quite stand up and it's certainly not therapy. It's some weird and interesting thing in between which uh, I've had a lot of fun doing for almost 3 years now.
0: Okay, so what have some of the uh the themes been recently? Sure. Uh
4: well, I mean we started off with firsts, so we had a whole night of uh first experiences, had first kisses, first cigarettes, uh first mm. slow dances. It was really oh, nice. fun. Um, we've also had stories of, uh, success and failure in different months. So one whole month of success stories, one whole month of, of failures. Uh, every December we've had family stories oh, in time for the holidays, which All are right. amazing. Did just, that happen already? Yeah, that was unfortunately just a couple of weeks ago. It was an incredible show though. Um, we had six of the best stories I think I've had in a long time and uh we are well it's a perfect timing for me because we're just launching the confabulation podcast right now and uh you can listen to those stories as part of my own podcast where can people listen to the stories you can find it at nomoradio.com uh the actually the podcast launches sunday this sunday
0: okay nomoradio.com that's right that's my
4: podcast network that we just started i'm promoting a lot today i'm sorry promote promote (laughs)
0: away didn't you say you also have a show tonight
4: I do. I'm also part of uh, Uncalled For, which is um, Montreal's premier comedy troupe. I just like that word, premier. We're a sketch comedy and improv comedy troupe, and every uh, holiday season we do a big show, and that's tonight. We all get dressed up in our finest. It's at Mainline at 11 p.m. It's a late-night show, but we've got uh, contributions from other improv groups. Uh, We have Liederwolf, the uh, operatic... Uh, collective group i i don't know how to refer to them they they do this incredible guerrilla uh opera where their shows will just start and you won't know what's going on so we've snuck them into the into the bill okay uh and yeah it'll be a great it's, it'll be an improv show um with a lot of surprises and guests
0: okay awesome all right so we're going to hear more from you later about your own family story of, of christmas um and but right now we're going to take one another request and this is i I I think people will recognize this, so I'm not even going to tell you what the song is, but I felt like I really wanted to play it because it was from somebody all the way in Colombia who made a a struggle request. So that's pretty awesome. Her name is Diane Gallagher, and this is her request, what she would want to listen to if it were the end of the world.
1: choice that's going to happen.
0: The cat sat on and what you just heard were the voices of Hasidic men and children of New York's Lubavitch community, chanting, long live our master, teacher and rabbi, the king messiah forever and ever. And of course, that's a perfect, uh, it's perfect to play after Madonna's like a prayer. And back in the 90s, there was a split uh, in opinion over whether their leader, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, which some people might might recognize his name or might have seen his picture up around in near um, um, Orthodox or Hasidic community communities. communities. He kind of looks a bit like Santa Claus, but with a black hat. Anyways, his name is Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And a lot of people were split over whether he was actually the Mashiach or the Jewish Messiah. And this week, I spoke with comedian Robbie Hoffman about her memories growing up in that community in Brooklyn. And I asked if she remembers when Rabbi Schneerson died.
5: I do remember. I remember that everybody went to the funeral. It was the craziest thing, I think, in my lifetime that has happened. Like, for me, it was bigger than probably Princess Diana dying, or I don't know what other huge things happened to people in the secular world, but Schneerson dying was, like, horrific. People were so sad and crying and didn't know what to do, and were kind of scrambling, and it was, like, this really big leader, and you know guider of our lives was no longer there and there was no successor. Yeah, scary and a huge calamity in the community. And everybody went and people so debated went I didn't but I but parents and I was too young but uh he really directed a lot of our lives and so without him it was really just crazy. It was like the president dying or something. I met the Lubavitcher Rebbe because in New York, what you would do is you would go to the synagogue, you would bring a dollar that you were supposed to give to Tzedakah, which is charity, and the Rebbe would give you a dollar, okay, for your dollars. Oh, no, the Rebbe would just, oh, here's what happened, sorry that I'm confused about it It happened when I was six. Uh, You went there and the Rebbe gave you a dollar, you traded that dollar, you kept his dollar, used one of your own dollars. And you, uh, you gave that dollar to Tzedakah, but you kept the dollar he gave you, and I still have the dollar he gave me.
0: So how did it feel to meet the Messiah? Uh,
5: well, I, I don't think the Rebbe is the Messiah.
0: At the time, did you? Think? No. Okay. Most people
5: did not think he was the Messiah. He was somebody who was very wise. He was somebody who knew a lot, who spoke truth and, and wisdom, and yeah, I was sitting on his lap. Uh, I was five or six years old. He gave me a dollar, and um, it was fun. Who
0: is the Messiah?
5: Who is the Messiah? I I don't I I have tro- I don't know that there's a Messiah. I'm just wrapping my head around like heaven and things like that. So I haven't even gotten to the point of is there some savior of some kind? Um, I don't know, Justin Timberlake. Somebody really gorgeous and talented and mm-hmm. popular.
0: I don't know. Not Justin Bieber?
5: No, he's too young to save anybody. Okay. I wouldn't, I don't think he could support me in a lake if I was drowning or something. <laughs> you know? So, but Justin Timberlake. Joe, would. Justin Timberlake um, definitely can. Okay. I think.
0: Um, okay. Is it true that some people have a bag packed for when the Mashiach comes?
5: No. I've never heard of that. Ever. Not once. As far as I'm concerned, when I was a child and the Mashiach came, you had everything you needed and more. Okay. You know, and I, I we grew up pretty poor. So I'd be like, oh, God, when are you coming already? You know? I mean, we, we, we were fun kids. I mean, we were really, really innocent, but but complicated, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we were hardworking kids, but we had a good time. But it was, you knew when the Mashiach came, everything was going to be amazing. Um, but you didn't. I didn't you know you were also pessimist you were also Jewish so you were like ah it's never going to come you know forget about it like look at us like I tell my mother like you're just saying it's going to come so I'll make my bed you know like it's like like, I don't believe this one anymore um, because you're still that that Jew believing in this great thing it's kind of an oxymoron (laughs) well like what great thing you're a big talker you're all talk no show Um, and that's how it felt often
0: I hear you. Optimistic and pessimistic all at once. That's yeah. the Jewish way. Yeah. So, what do you think is going to happen on Friday when the world ends?
5: Um, why is the world ending on Friday? Am I Supposedly Friday is the last day um of the
0: Mayan calendar and the world is is coming to an end.
5: Wasn't that December 12th though? No,
0: December 21st.
5: I thought it was 12/12/12. 12, 12, 12. <laughs> you know, it's this Friday. It's this Friday. Are you sure it's not 12-12-12? Because I already tweeted well, about that, here. so now I look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> I, don't... I, I don't believe the Mayans. I mean, this is the only thing they've ever told me that I know of. So I have no history with the Mayans, and I don't, I don't trust them uh, <laughs> at all. Do you know? So I don't, I mean, I have a show on Saturday, so I'm looking forward to that.
0: You think the show's going to happen?
5: Yeah, I I definitely think the show's going to happen. Yeah. So it's Friday. I thought it was 12-12-12. I'm pretty sure all the tweets were about 12-12-12. Are you sure it's the 21st and not the 12th?
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure.
5: Yeah. Can we look this up? Yeah. Like your battery's going, I know. <laughs> but um, now I'm, like, so curious I can't even concentrate on the interview. Mayan prophecy yeah 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 you're right the everything will come to an end on 1221 okay that's scary a little bit because there's all this information of course it's from the internet so do you trust the internet I know you don't
0: trust the Mayans <laughs> um, Says it on the internet twenty yeah. first this Friday.
5: Um I don't trust <laughs> it, no, but I mean if it does end I mean I I'm, I'm happy with what I've done. Or you know <laughs> or what You're I'm ready doing. To go. I, no, I'm not, but I mean I don't I I'm happy that I had, you know, chances to do fun things and be with fun people. Um I really hope it's not over, of course. I was looking forward to falling in love again and uh, you know, th- having more more shows, getting a TV show, doing pretty much everything I can possibly do. So I'm hoping it's not the case. However, if it is the case, then, you know, I had fun. You had fun? Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um,
0: do you want to say uh, any last words?
5: Uh, uh, nothing. On, I mean, keep on keeping on. Uh, have fun why am I giving advice I don't give advice I don't know come to my shows laugh (laughs) get drunk get laid (laughs) give a blowjob a hand anything I don't know that's going to be cut off for sure I (laughs) think
0: that's the only part I'm going to play in (laughs) fact
5: okay but like I don't know scissor somebody do whatever you want to do and 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 come laugh okay February 7th Theatre St. Catherine Comedy and Biblical Proportions presents Love and Sex in the Bible. You can go to RobbieHoffman.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I am Robbie Hoffman, though that's not for the um, Virgin-eared.
0: So that was Robbie Hoffman, and she was genuinely uh, surprised when I told her about this Mayan prophecy in our interview this week. Um, And that's also, even though we've been on the air for five years now, Shraddala on the shortwave, happy birthday, it's so awesome, that's definitely the first time that anybody has said Um, you can scissor somebody or can you scissor somebody Or we've never said that before this is new so we're breaking new ground thank you Robbie and you can catch her tomorrow at kosher jokes for the halal days along with these two ladies who were on the last episode of shtetl on the shortwave hey Iman, hey Chas Iman I was wondering how do the Palestinians really feel about the Jews? I don't know, I guess the same way the Jews feel about the Palestinians
1: oh that's not good that's what to expect. A kosher jokes for the holidays, returning for its third year for three nights, December 20th to the 22nd, at the Comedy Nest. ComedyNest.com for tickets. Shabbat salam, CKUT 90.3 FF. <laughs>
6: A newborn king to see, pa ra pa pum I find his gifts we bring, pa ra pum pum To lay before the
0: It's that time of year when Christmas and Hanukkah and Jews and Jesus, and it's all overlapping. I wanted to uh, um, make a mention, first of all, of a fun thing happening this Monday on Christmas. It's called Christmas for Jews with the Myland Chavorah, and it's basically we're renting out Chinese restaurant Le Cop Fu on Saint Laurent Boulevard, and uh, so Chinese dinner, and then the whole uh, Rialto is rented out to watch, of course, a Woody Allen movie Zelig, and uh, people can come and and just come to the door. There's a, there's a bar and popcorn, and the movie starting at nine o'clock. So Woody Allen on Christmas, of course, and so the song that we heard was Little Drummer Boy by Bob Dylan, and it's off of a compilation that was put together by the Idleson Society, which um, has been has been putting out some amazing compilations. Of, of Jewish music and quirky music that you really wouldn't expect. But this this one is called Twas the Night Before Hanukkah, and it's all kinds of weird Hanukkah songs and Christmas carols sung by Jews. So uh, I thought this was a good segue also to, um, to talking with Matt Goldberg uh, about his family Christmas. So um, Matt, even though today is the last day on earth, we're very, very grateful that you were wanting to spend it here with shtetl
4: well you know I, I didn't want to go back and finish grading my papers because it's the last day of the world they're not going to get the grades anyway so this is like a great place to be are you a prop uh i'm a teacher at uh, vanier college as well nice. many hats: nice. storytelling teaching comedy uh radio wow do you get a lot of your material from the students um, I have always wanted to, but it's so in jokey. I mean, unless you've read all of the stuff that I have to read, it's hard to uh, it's hard to to enjoy that. I think.
0: Okay, all right. The Jep student. I don't know. I'm sure there's there's material there. The Vanier CJP students. Oh yeah.
4: Oh yeah, there's some incredible things. You yeah. <laughs> see some wonders, real wonders.
0: <laughs> so, uh what's up? I mean, Christmas mm. at the Goldbergs. You don't usually Goldbergs Christmas. These two don't usually go together. What what's
4: Christmas like at your family? This is something I've talked about a lot at Confabulation every uh single holiday show. Uh different aspects of this come back to me. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, it always occurred to me that it was a weird thing. I knew my last name was Goldberg, my middle name is Jacob. Um I have, you can't see me on the radio, but I have the curly hair and when I grow it out it's very jufrowy.
0: I find your black hat and black coat also is a little bit it's well, very very you jewish. Know,
4: <laughs> I got to look good for the I don't know. <laughs> but the, the the thing is like I always knew this part of my my heritage and I just never really thought about what it meant that we also like I have a real visceral Im- uh, image in my mind of of lighting the last Hanukkah candle and then turning around and decorating the Christmas tree on the same night. Um, we would have, I mean, we would do, we would observe the religious holidays, the Jewish holidays, and then, yeah, uh, at the same time, uh, we had these lavish Christmas decorations. Um, my dad loves all the holidays, and our house, our house exploded with holidays, Christmas uh, being the worst, I think, because people make so many tacky, uh, awful Christmas decorations like lig- little singing trees, uh, uh, tinsel and glitter and red and green. And it it was like, uh, I've often thought about it as, as, as Christmas threw up over my house. Oh, God. It was really, uh, <laughs> we had double stockings. I don't understand this at all. But in one room, we'd have stockings that, that Santa Claus would come and fill. And then in uh, another room in the house, we'd have more stockings, just decoratively, like my dad wanted Christmas so badly that we had bonus, extra more. Why did he want it so badly? Well, I don't know. Um, I was 9 or 10 before it really occurred to me that Christmas was Christian. I I didn't really make that leap. Uh, we don't really talk about other, or any religion really all that often in, in our house. I, I always thought of Jewish as a part of heritage rather than a part of, of faith. And, um... Hmm which is a whole other conversation i think but um i i remember thinking this is weird that we do this and i think it was my my fellow um, students at, at an elementary school or whatever that pointed out to me that this is kind of weird that we do this so i confronted him about it and i have this memory of of walking up to my dad and saying dad i don't really understand why um if we're jewish and uh we celebrate judaism and we, we take off the jewish high holidays and observe them um why do we also celebrate Christmas? Why do we? Why do we get a Christmas tree? And uh, he looked down at me very sincerely and very and uh, very seriously and, and said to me, "Well, Matthew, it's because growing up, your your mother always wanted a Christmas tree." And I thought, you know, well, that's really sweet. And my dad just wants to take care of my mom, give her whatever she wants, and make it really wonderful. And I walked away happy, and it was only a little while later that it re- that I realized that. Um, it's true that my mom always wanted a Christmas tree growing up, but my mom uh, grew up Catholic, so she always got a Christmas tree growing up. It's <laughs> like, that doesn't... Uh, this is the way with my dad. He won't give me a clean answer to all these things, and I've called him on this since, and he denies that it ever took place. Uh But I remember writing I wrote these ideas down. I remember writing down, this doesn't really make sense. My mom had Christmas. Why do we still do this? So
0: he's like blaming it on
4: her, pinning it on her desire
0: when really it's him that's
4: yeah. He's one of those dads who's like, Oh, it's for your mother's sake. It's for your mom. But uh if you ever see my dad on Christmas wearing a Santa Claus hat My dad on
0: Christmas, it sounds like it's a drug.
4: Oh my god, my dad's totally on Christmas (laughs) this year. He's all strung (laughs) out and coat and tinsel. Oh my god woke up crying no uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he loves it he's a kid um and he loves mm. the present giving we, which which is weird like we learned all of the wrong lessons about christmas growing up too we didn't learn the be nice to each other or share or get together with family we learned about the um getting big presents and um uh, uh wanting more and being jealous of your brothers uh, I'm a middle child uh, two brothers and um uh, we didn't, uh, we always exchanged gifts, but I remember when we grew up old, we, when we were old enough to know that there was no Santa Claus, uh, not willfully pretending there was. How did not, they break that news to you? They never did. They never did. They never approached the fact that we've deceived you all these years. We just played along until a ridiculous age because we wanted to keep getting presents.
0: Okay. You wanted to believe, to quote-unquote believe.
4: Well, I wanted to believe for the material gain, which is awful. And I think (laughs) of that now, and it's so gross. What's so
0: bad about material gain? Well, I
4: don't know. I mean, uh, because... I don't know. Because now I have so much less garbage in my house, and I realize cheap (laughs) toys from wherever.
0: But do you still, like, have some sort of connection to Christmas? Do you still... I feel so
4: weird about it, because I do, right? I mean... I, we're all living apart now. I'm, I'm 32. Uh, my older brother's 35. My younger brother's uh, 29. He just got back from Australia. We don't live in the same house anymore. And I do like something about getting back together for the holidays. So it's funny. I sort of have backed my way into that kind of hokey TV family definition of what Christmas is now. That I, I, I like that. I like the sharing. I like the... I do like giving gifts now, but I like thoughtful gifts. I like trying to find something that someone would really appreciate and really speaks to their personality, which is not the lesson my brothers learned, but uh, they won't listen to this. So, I can
0: so that. <laughs> are you crazy? I get letters from your brothers like every oh, week man. how much they love Stetel. Josh, oh. Dan,
4: I'm sorry. I sold you out. <laughs>
0: What about your dad? Is he still, like, now that you guys are all grown up, does he still do Christmas? He is, but
4: what's. It's weird. Can we I'm, call
0: him up right now and talk to him and get the answer to what, like, why he was so obsessed with Christmas?
4: We could try.
0: What's his number? No. I have
4: to text him to warn him. I don't know. Uh, what time is it?
0: No, I don't know. It's like a family interventionist. It's like <laughs> Barbara Walters and Wiretap mixed into one. No, I don't I love
4: say. this idea, but. <laughs> Yeah, maybe next time, give him a little warning. What's what's his name? Steve.
0: Steve. Steve, Steve Goldberg.
4: Goldberg. Yeah,
0: that's pretty common. Call you name. out on the
4: air. Someone you know is going to hear this, Steve, and is going to ask, "So what's up with Christmas?" Well, while Steve I'm calling Goldberg, out,
0: this is Stedel on the shortwave <laughs> calling you to find out why you're so obsessed with singing Christmas trees.
4: <laughs> the sing, we had two of them. That's what's really gross. What
0: the hell is that, a okay, singing Christmas tree? So you Christmas got to tree. imagine.
4: All right, we always had a huge Christmas tree, uh, and just like a TV dad, always too big for our living room. And that was one thing. That's fine. Way too big for the house. But then additionally, I think it must, I don't know where, Canadian Tire or somewhere had these like plastic trees that there was a molded face built into. It's a terrifying monster. Really, when you think about it. Um, Like this face molded in, and when you turn it on, the eyes light up and the mouth opens and it sings Christmas carols to you. Wow. Or if you're feeling really uh, adventurous, there's a microphone and you can speak as the tree. Uh, It's kind of awesome, but it's kind of the worst thing ever when you're like a teenager.
0: Uh, Okay. I don't want to put you on the spot. Go for it. But what do you like better, Hanukkah or Christmas?
4: Oh, man. I mean... (laughs) it's so funny, because I think, in a lot of ways i 've talked a lot about with my Jewish friends about Hanukkah and what their relationship with Hanukkah is, and it feels like we 're of this mindset that Hanukkah is um what it is that it is as big a deal as it is only to compete with Christmas now if that 's right. fair mm-hmm. and that it's an, it's a it 's a good holiday, but by no means is it our biggest holiday is it the big one that we get together to celebrate yeah. um, so I mean. I don't know. Like I don't know many families that, 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 that come back from across the country for, for Hanukkah, but you know I, I I'd give the edge to Christmas only for that reason, that it forces people through guilt to come back from all over the world. I mean, we usually have the edge in terms of guilt, but Christmas has a special kind of guilt mm. for families.
0: I always feel like yeah, let's <laughs> see. One reason no, actually I I feel a bit off the hook being Jewish at Christmas mm. time. It's like you don't have to do anything, go anywhere. You're not part of the mayhem and the madness. It, there, is, there are those moments of like, now what do you do? It's like, it does feel like it's the last day on earth when Christmas happens. Everything is closed oh. and you don't have a family get together and there's nothing to do.
4: And even if you're not Christmas shopping, buying anything in the days before Christmas is terrifying. It is like an apocalyptic movie. People are running around, grabbing the last of the food and awful. Yep. Yeah. It's hateful. <laughs> <laughs> hateful for the holidays. I love it.
0: <laughs> but there, there is there is a draw. There is something sure. about, like when you walk down the street and you see a whole row of houses completely dark. And then there's that one that is like using every ounce of electricity mm. from Hydro Quebec and has the, the blown up Santa Claus and reindeer and all the lights. And it, it's kind of fun.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I grew up in the suburbs of Montreal, and so carolers were always a big thing that would come around my neighborhood. And I love carolers. I love the idea of people going door-to-door singing. I mean, how how often do we sing in our day-to-day life, let alone go door-to-door with it? Do you carol? No, I've never caroled. It's too Hmm. bad. I I, I do love, like a lot of good Jews, love Christmas songs.
0: Yeah. 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 The Christmas songs are really good. They make them up. I love, one of my favorites is, because people... (laughs) Should I sing it? Jesus. No, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but I do. I do like that. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Mary's boy, child. Jesus Christ. I probably will lose any credibility I have in the I'm Jewish community. So I if got I you to sing singing. on the radio. This is amazing. Mary's boy, child. I need backup. Marley? Jesus
1: Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Guys, we're going to get together. We're going to go door to door. It I starts know. tonight. <laughs> It's we the can, last night of the world. we so. got to
0: find some... Can we find some Jewish carols that we can sing? Or at least we have to sing those idols in society, like the Bob Dylan, the... I don't know. Yeah.
4: Well, I mean, I, I mean, Irving Berlin was Jewish. She wrote a lot of great Christmas songs. Exactly. And the really cheesy ones are great. <laughs> White Christmas? Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Matt, I want to ask you a question. Mm, anything. Um. Anything. Anything.
4: Oh, man. Okay, no, no, no. That's too much.
0: Uh, we were talking about firsts before. No. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... If you had to choose a song to go out to at the end of the world, what would it be?
4: I would be so very happy to hear David Bowie's Life on Mars, because just because life is over here doesn't mean we can't go somewhere else. And not only that, if we are all going to die tonight, I feel really bad for the Mars rover who's going to be wandering up there all alone.
0: Mm, Poor okay. little Mars. All right. All right. We're going to play that David yes. Bowie. And that was Matt Goldberg of Confabulation. And people can, can check that out at ConfabulationMontreal.com. That's right. All right. And what else can they check oh, out?
4: Uh, edgeofthecity.com. No, sorry. NoMoreRadio.com for the Confabulation podcast and Edge of the City, the show I do every Monday. And also, we are WeAreUncalledFor.com for my uh, sketch comedy troupe Uncalled For.
0: Oh, my God. You're so busy. I do too all much. Right. All right. All right. <laughs>
6: and she's hooked to the silver screen, but the film is a sad thing for. But she's lived it ten times or
1: more. She could spit in the eyes of fools and had- say.
6: their lives
0: Back on the potentially last episode ever of Shtetl on the Shortwave, the last day of the Mayan calendar. And who knows, who knows what's gonna be on the other side of today. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's participated in Shtetl on the Shortwave over the last five years, and thank you to the guests who came on the show today, to Matt Goldberg, to Lorenzo Di Tommaso, to Robbie Hoffman, and most especially thank you to Marley Wasser for being such an awesome producer. And Marley um, got a job and is leaving Shtetl, but she's going to be back and I'm going to force her to keep tweeting for Shtetl because I don't know how the hell to do that shit. So Marley's like the tweet expert at Shtetl. So thanks Marley for doing such an awesome job.
2: Thanks, Tamara.
0: (laughs) So we're going to go out with my choice for uh, a song to listen to if it were the end of the world. It's a song that I got introduced to this year on Shtetl where I learn about all the music that I know about. And it was the Yellow Bird Project um, that uh, suggested this song. It's by Devendra Banhart, and it's called Shabbat Shalom. And seeing as when the Messiah comes and it's the end of times, it's going to be like peace on earth and the sabbath forever i thought this would be a fun one to go out with for 2012 so this is devendra banhart shabbat shalom and have a great new year
6: our story begins on a sunday afternoon just between halfway tree and spanish town where a young boy not yet the cock of the walk he would soon become was lying on the grass and taking in the sweet and sensuous scent of hibiscus that languidly lilted along the summer breeze it was at this precise moment that he saw her. Her walk was soft and delicate, with a thaumaturgical touch that only a rabbi's daughter could have. Before their eyes had even met, her luminous lips had already lured him in. Salvation winked with the promise of a bris held at pinnacle, and a congregation of sages bunny-hopping and chicken-dancing to Yiddish minto. Then their eyes linked, an eon blinked. Amheric vows were scryed upon their hearts, just to think this could all be with a frenectomy, And a few words of love.